because of the Lord and his insight, I have some good things to share with you today. I'm so enthusiastic about that. Uh, Galatians chapter one, and, and if you're able to, why don't we stand to honor God's word? This is just a way to remind us that this book is special. It's not like any other literature. It is unique in its claims and in what it gives to us. At the conclusion of my prayer, uh, you can respond to a call and response and say, thanks be to God. Uh, my sermon's going to go all the way to chapter two, verse two, but for our reading, we'll just go to verse 16 today. Starting with verse 13. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So here's the title of my message. God has the right plan, process, and pace. And if you want to put... An addendum to that, for me. You can just put that down too. That title has a lot to say just in the title itself. There's a whole lot to say. And we're going to look at some of Paul's story because Galatians chapter one, Paul reveals some of his story and we get insight into his life. And the overarching theme that I see is that God has a huge plan for Paul, a huge plan for the world. Now, Immediately, a lot of us can agree with that. In fact, I originally said my, my title that got next was God has a plan for me and it is good. And that is true. But a lot of times we are okay understanding that God has a plan, but God also has a process for that plan and a pace or a speed. And sometimes we're okay with God's plan and we can trust in God's plan, but we don't often trust the process to make the plan come about. And we certainly struggle with the pace of how the plan is coming about. So I hope that as you look at Paul's life, you're going to receive a lot of encouragement today. When I was a, a, a kid, I remember that we would have all the time in the eighties, um, door to door salesmen come by. Thankfully, that doesn't happen anymore. We don't have any door-to-door salesmen because they're just annoying, right? You're all comfy and in your house, and then you get a knock on the door. That is, you know, they're only annoying if they don't go to this church. If you go to this church and you're in a door-to-door salesman, then no, you're, you're, you're good. But every other door-to-door salesman is just kind of tough. And things have kind of changed, too, over the years uh, because we're all protective. We're in our cocoon, the house, you know, so we're, we're not necessarily wanting people to come by. And most neighborhoods, a lot of neighborhoods and apartments have no solicitation. So it's tough on those guys and girls. And I, I do acknowledge that. It is tough, but it's still annoying nonetheless. So, um, 
uh, there was a knock at the door and I'm playing with Legos, which is such a cool thing to do. I don't know why men stop playing with Legos like at 10 or 12 or 20 because they are just fun. Green, yellow, red, you build stuff. But I was playing with my Legos and there was a knock at the door and my mom answered the door. My mom, she's actually in the service today. She's so smart about the word, about spiritual things. And there was someone proselyting, like I think it was a Jehovah's Witness and they they were sharing their faith and they were going door to door. So mom figured it out really fast and she said, well, I'm a born again Christian and I believe the Bible is God's word, and so I'm not really interested. I mean, case closed, right? Then he, he asked a question that at the time, I, I thought, this is a good question, but I'm going to push back against it as this message unfolds. And here was a question. He said, ma'am, if you believe so much in your faith, then why am I knocking doors and you're not? And I thought, ooh, mom got burned, man. <laughs> That was a good question because she was gracious. And, and, I, and I carried that somewhere in my mind years later. And, and I have been involved in every church I've ever been a part of, I, including this one. I've been involved in door-to-door uh, witnessing. And, and I had romanticized it in my heart because it just feels really good. Let's meet at Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Let's not meet at noon because we have stuff to do after that. Let's meet Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and go, go knock on people's door and make them answer the door with like sleepy in their eyes and, and, and all that kind of stuff and, and call it evangelism. So we did that and we've done that. And, and I hate to say this. I mean, it's just a fact. We can have a longer conversation about that. The retention rate is like almost 0%. In fact, I have a friend of mine who did it for 10 years and he actually admitted to me that I never once had a convert. Now, some of our, our grandmothers in the church, they came back with great stories because when grandma knocks on your door, that's like cool. But when a guy that looks like me, and, and I, I'm not known as Pastor Aaron, I'm just a creepy fat guy with a beard. That's not a cool thing at all. That's a threat is what that is, okay? It's like, don't answer the door. Hide the kids. Who's at the door? I'm here to share Jesus with you. It doesn't work, okay? So all of that was in my mind. And so this is one of the reasons why, you know, we have to be thoughtful in how we do evangelism, but that's not the point today. Here's the point today. The point is, is that uh, the validity of faith is not because uh, another religion is doing more. And so, so comparing intensity of practice does not validate a religion. So what validates our religion is not how much we do. What validates our religion is what is the truth? What is the truth? And the truth is God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ, the only way, the only truth, the only light. We can look at, at Islam, which a large percentage of the world is part of today. And, and you could argue uh, that Islam, in comparison to evangelical Christianity, is more disciplined. Because three times a day they face Mecca and they pray. Uh, a lot of them fast during the day, during Ramadan. You could go on and on. I can do a comparative chart of all the religions and actually argue that Christians are the least disciplined. But it is not discipline that gets us saved. It is Jesus who gets us saved. And so yes, spiritual disciplines have value and it is a good thing, but it is not us trying to earn our salvation. It is us receiving our salvation, receiving grace, positioning ourselves to receive all that God has for us. And this is why Paul was so defensive in chapter one and chapter two. He is defending his apostleship. 
And he's doing that not in an insecure way. Like, let's say someone like me said, hey, I'm the pastor of this church, and so you guys get in line because I want you to do what I say. That's not really what he's doing. He's actually defending the gospel because he's saying, if you don't believe that I'm an apostle, then all of these teachings that I've given you are for nothing. They've, they've been... Uh, they, they've been totally undermined. And so that's why he's defending his gospel. So what he does here, and you're going to see this as this teaching unfolds, he basically comes and he says, hey, I did not become an apostle because I went to Jerusalem. And I didn't, that's not why God came to me. I didn't just hurry off to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's a little tricky about this passage. But at the end, he goes, but I did go to Jerusalem after God called me. So meaning this, it'd be like me saying, guys, I'm a pastor today because I have a Bible college degree. A Bible college degree, you would agree, doesn't make me a pastor. God's call makes me a pastor. It's God's call that makes me a pastor. He called me and he called me in to, to, to be a pastor in the fivefold ministry. And he called me 12 years ago to be the pastor of this church. And that is a divine calling. Oh, by the way, I do have a Bible college degree. Okay, I mean, that, that's good to have. So that's kind of what Paul did. He said, I didn't go to Jerusalem to become an apostle. I got the apostleship from God. But by the way, I did go to Jerusalem and get affirmed by the church. And so I hope that you'll see that as this teaching unfolds. Because what we see with Paul is we see something that if, if a religious leader has not received, or a Christian, someone like you, who you are a religious leader, and in my eyes you are, every single one of you who are watching this sermon, is th that we need, this is the first category I have today, a heart conversion. You can write it down, you can look at it in you version there, a heart conversion. So Paul had enthusiasm, and he had a word that we're going to spend some time on called zeal. But zeal without life change is destructive. So I'm, I'm warning you today, I'm warning you in the Lord, that enthusiasm about morality, um, enthusiasm about culture, clearly seeing there's a right and there's a wrong, and we're going to make people act right. If that is your motivation without a changed heart, it can be destructive. Because we lead and we make decisions and we're in community based off life change. And that life change is, it, it corresponds with what the truth is. So you're going to see this. Now, let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. And let's start uh, with the scripture we already read corporately, but we'll look at it again. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church. Now, in case you don't know this story, you can look in the book of Acts. Paul, he oversaw the systematic, um, really, destruction, the word we use today is genocide, of Christians and of people who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And he oversaw their destruction. So he is admitting that. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Verse 14. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people. So he was a star in Judaism. He was, he was a rising star. Now, here's the term that I want you to be, or the word I want you to be aware of as we talk about it. Because I was extremely zealous. We're going to look at the word zeal for a second. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me 
So, and here is the reason why. Here's God's plan for Paul, which is also Paul's, God's plan for the world. So that I could preach him among the Gentiles. God's plan, God's process, God's pace. Now let's talk about the word zeal. That word is very important in verse 14 because it seems like a nice word, but it was a carefully chosen word that immediately those who were familiar with the Jewish faith would think about uh, a man named Phinehas who was the grandson of Aaron. So Moses and Aaron, Aaron's grandson is Phinehas. And he did something, he demonstrated zeal for the ways of God. Here's how he, what, what happened. In Numbers 25, we, we'll read it in a couple minutes. We don't have to get there yet. In Numbers 25, here's what, there's a situation. That the, the people of God were involved in gross, just obvious sexual sin. Sexual immorality with the surrounding tribes and nations. And this wasn't just like a slip up of sexual sin that, that happens from time to time and a repent of that or anything like that. This was like in the face of Moses and leadership. In fact, there was a man that in front of Moses and all of the assembly just took a lady from another nation and, and just involved, was involved in sexual immorality with her. So Aaron's grandson did something that's, that's really kind of, kind of grotesque to share with you here on a Sunday morning, but he took a spear, went in the tent, and he, he killed the man and the woman. In the Old Testament, that was, you know, we, we, they interpreted the world uh, in, in many ways different than we did now. That was his way to defend the honor of God. And that was the old covenant before Jesus. So now let's go to Numbers 25 and, and we'll see the response. And in, in starting with verse 10, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses, Verse 11, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, he's a grandson of Aaron, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal so that I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. So this idea of being zealous for the ways of God, even when it initiates violence, has carried on into into many different sects of Judeo-Christian groups. And so it's something that we have to put in check because unless, unless we're Jesus himself, often our zeal is not sanctified and is not part of his holiness and righteousness. Now, speaking of Jesus, you may remember when Jesus went to the temple and it was just had become this, um, this expression of, of, um, of advertisement and marketing and, and trying to make money off God's people. So Jesus went and he turned over the, the tables, the market tables outside the temple gates. And immediately when they're recounting the story, the, the disciples were probably thinking of Phinehas and they were thinking of this word zeal. And so John 2, verse chapter 2, starting with verse 16, he told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Let's think about that and decisions we make. By the way, that's why one rule, y'all don't know about this church. I just this, I haven't said this in years. We don't do bake sales here, okay? Hey, if we're gonna have like cookies and, and little, little nice 
uh, bread out there. Let's just give it away to people. Like, let's not charge people. So I just don't believe bake sales are God's will for churches. If they come in the lobby, I don't want, you know, I don't want to have to give out 50 cents for a Rice Krispie treat. You know, just give me the Rice Krispie treat and I'll write a check. Okay. So just, just, we haven't addressed that in a while. So uh, sorry, Pastor Josh. I know that the youth ministry wants to have a bake sale, but we're not, we're not going to go there. So um, he came and he overturned the tables in the marketplace. And now going back to verse 17, and his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so they probably thought of Phineas here and they, and even, even, you know, connected this with, with a violent act, even a couple hundred years earlier, the Maccabeus brothers, they, they had led this violent result, revolt, uh, that they had great zeal. And so Jesus is the only one who can really get that perfectly or his spirit can get that perfectly. But now if we go back again, now that I've given you some definitions, if you don't mind going back to verse 14, and because you can see Paul saying, I remember my former way of life. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So I've set all of this up to say that Paul was a religious zealot who had not met Jesus yet. And because of that, he was actually opposing the work of Jesus. And so it's possible that you can be moral and you can be disciplined and you can have a great sense of what is right and wrong. And you can be even a protector and you can even be one who, who, who you're, you're being affirmed for, for a violent act. And yet you're not actually living the Beatitudes. You're not actually living the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'll say this is that zeal has to be submitted to Jesus. Zeal has to be submitted to Jesus because Paul just showed that zeal apart from Jesus led to actually the destruction of the work of Jesus. So I, I say all of this to say, this is where, 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 where Paul is saying, I used to be a zealot. I used to have zeal. I used to, I used to have respect. In fact, I was being promoted among my contemporaries. I, I was becoming a rising star in the Jewish faith. But Jesus then encountered me and it changed my heart. And so I, I want to encourage those of you, make sure that Jesus keeps speaking to your heart. Speak, it keeps changing your heart, that, that you're not just riding the momentum of cultural zeal only and letting that be the definition of your faith. Jesus has to personally encounter your heart, and I believe that he has done that, and I want you to, to continue in that. I, I want to speak to those of you who, who I know there's people here. I just know this. this. This is not a prophetic. This is just the law of averages. And I know people. I know some of you today feel hidden. You feel overlooked. Uh, you feel forgotten. You feel unnoticed. Those are, those are tough words to share. Unnoticed, forgotten, overlooked, hidden. I want you to hear something today. That you are going to be okay. Trust me, you are going to be fine because God has not overlooked you. God has not forgotten you. God knows where you're at. You are noticed by him and the hidden place can be a beautiful place for you. The hidden place is a place where God can be at work in your life. And I know that because he's been at work in my life in deep places and times when I was hidden. 
This is the second category I have today that I want you to see in the scripture is, is hidden growth. You're going to see this in Paul's life, and I want you to see it in your life. There's a time when you're not noticed, but you're growing. There's a time when you're overlooked, but God sees everything that's happening. There's a time when you're forgotten by one group, but God's preparing you for another group. He will not let you die in the desert. He will not let you starve. He will not let you die of thirst. He is preparing you for great things because he loves you and he loves the world. And his plan, God has the right plan, the right process, and the right pace for you. So my heart goes out to you because it's part of the human condition that we've all been in before. And we all know what it's like to feel like we're hidden. But can I remind you that the desert can be a beautiful place. I had the opportunity to, to go to the desert of California in Arizona last month, and it was barren, but it was beautiful. And there was beauty even when it's a fruitless place. You know, we all want fruit. We all want fruit, but we don't appreciate fruit until we're in a fruitless place. And there's also beauty there, and there's a unique type of fruit in the desert. So let's go to verse 17, and, and we're going to go through some of the biogra- biographical parts of Paul's life that you'll find interesting, but I want you to see yourself also in this story. First, starting with, with uh, verse 18. Then after three years, no, it's, thank you, I'm sorry. We're gonna start with verse 16. I, I get a little lost in my notes here. I did not immediately consult with anyone. So after Paul got saved, this is verse 16. He said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had been apostles before me. So this seems like the logical thing for him to do. You get saved, go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles. But he's saying, guys, that's not the path I took. I'm defending my apostleship here and I'm letting you know that God called me, not just man. So he said, "Um, I did not go to Jerusalem to, to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia. That's where I get the desert, the desert illustration from. And I came back to Damascus. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, Paul went immediately after his conversion and after being ministered to by Ananias, he went into the desert, Arabia. And the idea there is this was a time to study. This was a time to pray. This was a time to seek the Lord. Now think about this. Jesus was with his disciples. Think about how many years that was. Here's the answer to that. He was with his disciples three years. He taught them, he trained them, he spent time with them. Paul used that same three-year period to spend time in the desert, seeking the Lord and seeking his presence and getting to know the Lord. He also returned to his hometown, his hometown in Damascus. And that's an important lesson that we learned too about not forgetting our roots and not forgetting uh, those who know us the best. And that's an important principle also. So then now let's go down to verse 18. Then after three years, I did not go up to Jerusalem. Excuse me, let me say that again. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. Okay, who is Cephas? Okay, we have one Awana student in here, and she said Peter. Okay, great. That's a joke. Cephas is another name for Peter. And and I, I went to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. And then verse 19, but I didn't see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declared in the sight of God, I am not 
lying, and what I write to you. Again, he, he is defending his apostleship here, and he's saying, I, I did not get this from man. I got this from the Lord. And in fact, I'm just going to let you know that I secretly went. I secretly went to meet with Peter, and I met with him for 15 days. And, and I did meet with James, the brother of Jesus also. These are, these are main leaders in the church. James led the church in Jerusalem, wrote the book of James, of course. These, these are ways that Paul is saying, hey, God called me, but the church confirmed me. Afterwards, verse 21, I went to the region of Syria and Cilicia. Verse 22, I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. So he, he is saying, I, I didn't just try to become a Christian star right away. I didn't just try to, you know, to, to force myself into this. I sought the Lord and I found the Lord and I found the Lord in an unconventional way. Here's some questions I have for you today. Could something in your life that's unconventional, that's illogical, something in your life that is not normal, could it be the Lord? A lot of us, we have disqualified ourselves because we're comparing ourselves. And so maybe you say, well, if I would have gone to college, you know, I'd, be, I'd have more to give now. Well, maybe the fact that you didn't go to college means you're more, you have more common sense than people who have. And you can make more just, just decisions that are logical. Uh, maybe, maybe you think, well, I can't be... A, I can't teach children or I can't apply to, to be a youth, youth staff with Pastor Josh because I didn't become a Christian until I was 58 years old. Well, well may, maybe the fact that you didn't know the books of the Bible since birth and you had to learn them as an adult means you can teach someone in a way that someone else cannot. My point is this, is that some of you belittle your own story when it's the story of God's grace in your life. You've taken this own story and you've self-disqualified when God is saying, I have something planned based off who you are, based off your past, based off your present reality, and I'm going to use you in ways you can't imagine. Paul didn't just go the conventional route. He didn't just say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and hang out with those guys. He did things differently, but God worked in a different situation. Now, guys, we have to begin to position ourselves and be prepared for a revival of more people coming to know Jesus. And one of the things that we don't talk about enough, but I want to talk about right now, is this. What is going to happen when famous people come into the church because they want to go to the Lord's table and hear the word of God. Are we going to geek out and, and like all have like get in line to get selfies? Or are we going to say, hey, this is a brother or sister in Christ and they're here because they need Jesus just as much as a homeless person, just as much as, as someone who is ill or sick, just because this person is a famous musician or a famous athlete or a famous politician or just because this person uh, is a CEO of a company doesn't make them any more special than any other person who walks through these doors because every single person who comes here needs Jesus. Guys, if we want to see God do his full work in the church. We have to be ready to not geek out when people we admire come to church. 
And this is, this is something that, that I think we need to deal with for those of us who are 19 and over. Now, if you're a little kid and you see, if, you know, a, a, whatever, a, a predator show up here and you want an autograph or a picture, that's one thing. But if you're 19 or over, you need to just be cool. You need to be cool when this happens. Because what we've had a trend in the church is this, something that has energized the church at times, but we haven't always handled right, is when high-profile people come to know Christ. And when that happens, sometimes we begin to worship them and worship their talent more than we point them to God. So in 1970, Pat Boone comes to know the Lord. It's like, oh my goodness, Pat Boone, he's a, he, he's a Christian now. Revival is coming to the nation. And in 2018, Kanye comes to know the Lord. And it's like, okay, we can listen to, to R&B music now, if that's what he's seeing. Is he seeing R&B? I don't even know. Um, so, so, so hopefully between Pat Boone and, and, and Kanye, I covered the whole, the whole group. He's a rapper, right? See, that's why I need a pastor under 30 on staff. Notice I didn't look at Chip, because Chip would have known. Yeah, yeah, he, he and I are stuck in 90s music. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor Josh. You, you continue to add value to this church, you know, service by service, uh, illustration by illustration. Thank God. So discovered by the church, that's a, that's a third category I want to give. And he, he, looked, he said in verse 24, and I need to move this along. He said, well, let, well let's go ahead and start with 22. I remain personally unknown to the church's to the Judean churches that are in Christ, they simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So it is exciting when someone with earthly fame comes to know the Lord, but we we have to use that and use that in a way that is appropriate and, and treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in this particular situation, they said, we had not met Paul, but we heard about Paul. And I've thought about this scripture a lot before Osama bin Laden uh, was killed uh, by, by the American military. I thought about, could you imagine if, if 15 years ago or whatever, we, were, we would have heard Osama bin Laden is saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and is on a speaking tour right now. I mean, this is, this is what they were dealing with with Paul. This was how unlikely this was. The guy who's trying to destroy the faith is now speaking. And so who knows what the Lord's gonna do in the future? I gotta tell you this story. Um, I heard a story about 20 years ago, and, and it grieves me to tell you the story, but there was a bivocational pastor I knew of who, who he would you know preach part-time, and the other time he would, he would clean the houses of very wealthy people. He was cleaning the house of the most, I mean, probably the most popular actress of that time. If I said her name, everyone would know her name. And this lady was searching for the Lord and having followed her life, I've I've realized that she's continued to search for the Lord in different religious kind of experiments she's had. And she was talking to this pastor friend and he told her what he did. He had a church of 30 or 40 people, a small church. And so he was telling her that and she said, I want to come to your church sometime. And instinctively, he responded, you can't. Because if you did, everyone would stare at you the whole time. And, and they kind of laughed. And I'm not saying I would have answered that question any better at the time. But it grieves me that, that that's where we're at. And, and maybe God's preparing us. We, you know, we have a star. We have a celebrity come to this church every single week. 
He's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the star. He's the celebrity. He's the one that we give attention to. He's the one we geek out about. He's the one that we want to see his face. We want to see his face and see his glory. And every other person of renown or every other person of earthly fame are also welcome to that same opportunity. Let me ask you a question. It's a question I ask people a lot. Whose authority are you under? Whose authority are you under? I met with a pastor this week. I, I meet with pastors a lot. And, and we hadn't spent time together in a long time. So I asked, whose authority are you under? And he answered the question quite well and quite easily. Me, I don't speak outside of, minister outside of CIL very often. I can preach something or do something that's, that's not fitting or not biblical. I'm submitted to all of you. You are welcome to question me any week and any time that I'm not ministering in this church. In addition to that, we have... Uh, overseers that I submit to the leadership board and every couple of years, the leadership board affirms. And right now those are Pastor Mike Burnett, uh, Pastor Ronnie Meek, Pastor Dan Scott, Pastor John McKenzie. Those are my pastors that I'm submitted to and, and they are, are people that can be appealed to if I'm out of order. And that, that is the authority that I'm under. And so here it is that the wider body of Christ the, the, the church doesn't call a person, but a church affirms the call in a person. And Paul, trying to defend the gospel, is saying, it's God who called me, but it's the church who affirmed me. And my last category is affirmed by the church. So he says now, affirmed by the church. In Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, after 14 years... I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. I'll just tell you this quickly, is that, that, that he went to Jerusalem five times according to the book of Acts. And scholars have had a really hard time connecting the, the five visits with Galatians chapter one and chapter two and figuring out, well, when did he go? When did he not go? So it's just hard to connect those. But if you're a nerd like me and want to look into it, Good luck. Maybe you'll figure it out. But the point is this, is that he went several times, we know from the book of Acts, and one of these trips he's talking about here in chapter two. He said, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus also along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. So he submitted to the leadership of the church of Jerusalem. And I love this phrase. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. That's a powerful statement. He said, he, he spends much time saying, God called me, man didn't call me, but because God called me, I'm going to the leaders and I'm going privately to them. I'm gonna make sure that I'm not running in vain. I wanna make sure that I'm in step with the authority. I want to make sure that I'm in step with the church. And it's a beautiful expression of, 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 of submission. God calls us. We're not called because we get a piece of paper to put on the wall. By the way, if your nephew's getting married next summer and you want the CIL to ordain you so you can do their wedding, don't bother contacting me or the elders. And that happens about every six months and every time we just say no. So we're not gonna give you papers unless you are called by God, like you're like actually leading people, actually teaching God's word, actually with the people. We are not a 
internet provider of ordination certificates. Okay, so just don't even bother. The point is this, it's God who called you. And he called you by the way you minister. He called you by the way that you, you have followers, you have people that you're leading to God. And it's the church that affirms that. And this is a beautiful, a beautiful picture of Paul's life. And I'm saying this because I want to see it in your life. I want you to see that God has a plan. You probably knew that today. You probably didn't need to hear the sermon today. Yeah, God has a plan, but he also has a process. And that process may mean the desert this year. It may be back to your hometown. It may be back to Jerusalem. It may be somewhere you didn't expect. The timing may not be exactly what you thought it would be. I mean, the way it's fleshed out may not fit your timeline, but we have a God who has a plan for you. And here's the reason God has a plan for you. It's not just because you're cool and that he likes you. He does, but he has a plan for you because he has a plan for the world. And, and, and he has a plan for the Gentiles in Paul's case. And so he is working in your life, not because, because he just likes you. It's because he wants to use you to change the world. Here's the great thing is God is not looking to disqualify you. He's looking to qualify you. Man, that was pretty good. That, that, that was for 1045. I didn't say that at 9 a.m. God's not looking to disqualify you. Some of you are thinking that. You're like, God just wants me out of the game. I'm just not good enough. I'm cut from the team. How many know that you're not cut from the team if you're in love with the coach, if you're in love with God, if you're in love with the guy in charge and you say, I'm going to give my heart to him. I may have made mistakes in the past. I may have screwed things up. I may have missed an opportunity. I may have taken an unconventional route and I have self-doubt. I may not be able to see today how God's at work, but it's not about you anyway. It's about the God who called you. And there is no man or no woman or no organization or no denomination or no church who can stop the call of God on your life, you're going to see there's going to be a body of believers that are going to say, we see it. We see God's work. We see that anointing. We see that gift. We see that you're a fit here. We see that this is for you and you're going to fly with the Lord. He's going to take you to the places that he wants to take you. And I believe that. I want us to stand together as we begin to move towards this time of consecration. God has a plan God has a purpose. God has a pace for you, for Paul, because he has a plan and he has a purpose and he has a pace for the whole world. That is who our God is. I want to pray for you today. Father, I pray for tired hearts, hearts that are weary, hearts that are tired, hearts that feel like they're beat up by this world. God, I pray that you would encourage them this day, that Lord, if you can use Paul, you can use us. Paul, the man who assaulted Christianity, the man who who looked over the systematic genocide of God's people, he is the one that you chose. How many, I want you to hear this, guys, hear it in your heart. Come on, hear it in your spirit. If God can use Paul, he can use you. No mistake you've made is final. No misstep you made is is fatal. If you're hearing this message, if you're watching this message right now, God is here to encourage you that there is a plan and there is a process and there is a pace. And even if that process means there's been a misstep and there's been a failure and there's been a setback, it's not too big for our God. He will not be overcome by evil for our God overcomes evil with good. There is yet hope for you and there is hope for your future. And there 
there is an opportunity that God has for you and it's, uh, it is right before you. All he has asked you to do is take a step back to him. Step back in his direction. Step back in his will. Take a step towards his face and in his, to his throne and to what he has for you. And you watch that God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. The famine that came to the land. The, unex, the unexpected that came and destroyed the fruit of your life. That fruit will come back again. That God it doesn't let the, the plague, he doesn't let the pestilence last forever. It was only for a season, but it is over. And he promised that he would restore the years that the enemy has stolen. And I believe that God will do that. God is going to make up stolen time and he's going to do it in ways you couldn't imagine. And so I want you to receive that word from the Lord today. If he did it for Paul, he'll do it for you. If he did it for Peter, if he did it for James, he will do it for you. This is a living, active word of the Lord. This is not just an account. This is not just a story. This is a pattern. This is a pathway for you. And the Lord says, if you're in the desert, or if you're in your hometown, or if you're in a foreign place, or if you're in your Jerusalem, you're at the right place right now. I want you to know that the location that you're at is in the is the right place for you right now. Yeah, you may move in the future. You may go somewhere else. God may need you somewhere else, but don't live in the future. Live in today. This is the place for you now. This is the place for you to put down roots. This is a place for you to grow in community. This is a way place for you to get a hold of that habit that has been, been just so tough in your life. This is a place for you to seek the Lord. This is the place for you to learn how to live in solitude. This is the place for you to learn how to not live in selfishness. This is a place for you. The Lord has established you and he will establish your way. I believe that. And he's going to do that. He's going to do that for you. I want to move towards our benediction, but I want to give some instruction so we can leave in a responsive way. I'm, I'm, as I'm teaching verse by verse through the scripture, I'm, I'm losing my sense of timing, but the Lord, every word of the Lord is valuable and true. Um, and so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer of confession, and we're going to confess our sins to the Lord. And then if you, if you want to take communion, we offer communion every week. Right now, during this time of mitigation, we're offering communion in these plastic cups. You may have received them as you came, or you can go get those. I won't give further instructions about that. Also, I want to mention this. Pastor Aubrey told us about our first year ever to acknowledge um, All Saints Sunday. It's not a biblical Sunday. It's a traditional Sunday, and it's, it's a time for us to remember saints. And we don't, we don't pray to saints. We don't pray for saints. That's not biblical. We simply remember those. According to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which we read earlier today, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We planned this several months ago or put it on the calendar. I didn't know that I would lose my childhood pastor just, just about two weeks ago. Guys, it has been, it's been tough for me and my family uh, because he meant so much to us. And so uh, earlier when I wrote his name down and I put it on that temporary memorial, it meant something to me. It may not mean anything to you. And if it doesn't mean anything to you, don't participate. But for me, it meant something. And it was, it was a way I was thanking God uh, for, for uh, his, his life. And, and, and I think about my friend Joanne Mahoney, who was part of the church, sat right down on that second row. 
And we lost her a few months ago. And it's a way to remember her. I thought about Ed Taylor, who we lost seven years ago, who gave so much of his life to build this church. And, and, and we remember him because see the church, if it's always just happy, 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 and we don't give time for lament and time for reflection and time to remember, then we're not fully human. We're just, we're just, we're just these people who are acting like we're, we're fake, that it's all on the up and up. But in this life, there is temporary grief and there is temporary sorrow, but there is coming a day where Jesus is gonna wipe away every tear and there'll be no more grief and no more sorrow. And those saints that we remember today, ones we have known, those we've been inspired by are with the Lord as we speak and with a cloud of witnesses. So as you leave today, if you wanna make, make, um, make an opportunity to remember someone as you go out the, the doors, it's right to your left. If you're online and you're watching, if you wanna put someone's name in the Facebook live comments, we would be blessed to see that name. And so that's something to consider. Would you pray with me if you so choose this prayer of confession? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. Pastor Aubrey is going to continue to lead us in worship, but I'm going to give our formal benediction here in a moment, and then you can take communion when your heart's ready, if you so choose, or you can go to the temporary memorial for All Saints Sunday. I love you guys. If you need to talk or pray, I'll be down here at the front. I'm so glad that we get to experience the Lord together. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great day in him. Let's worship the Lord for those who are staying.